0: newspaper men meet such interesting people they know the lowdown now it can be told I'll tell you quite reliably off the record about some charming people I have known for I meet politicians and grafters by the score Welcome to
1: the Media Project, an inside look at media coverage of current events. I'm Judy Patrick, former editor of the Daily Gazette in Schenectady and vice president now for editorial development for the New York Press Association, filling in for our usual host, Rex Smith, former editor of the Albany TU Times Union. Joining us this week is WAMC's CEO, commentator, columnist, publisher, on and on and on, Alan Shartok.
2: I'm here, and the greatest thing I can say about myself is that I'm not former.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, well. With us also is former editor, investigative journalist, and RPI professor Rosemary Armao. Happy to be here. And Barbara Lombardo, journalism professor at the University of Albany and former executive editor of the Sertogian and the Troy Record. Thanks for being with us all. Hello. For our first topic, let's start with the challenges the media may likely face following the U.S. Supreme Court's decision overturning Roe v. Wade. What we're hearing is that, you know, before Roe, newspapers came under challenges. They would be taken to court if they, for example, wrote anything in anti abortion states that offered people information about access to abortion. We also are starting to see stories based on confidential sources who, because of the danger of going to prison, are going off the record to tell us what's happening. And that, in turn, will lead us to facing requests from law enforcement agencies to seize our confidential records information. So what can we do going forward to cover this issue accurately and to protect our basic rights to do our
2: job? It seems to me you just have to do what's right. And as Winston Churchill once said, you got to fight them on the beaches when they try to take away your press rights. I don't think it's an easy thing, but I do believe we have to fight like hell.
1: One of the big problems here, though, is every state seems to be different. And so they're going to need journalists in every state to do it. And you're going to need organizations with the financial clout to fight these things in court. Do you think it's going to be possible, Rosemary? As it happens, we do
3: have journalists in every state. And there's no bigger story right now than this one, I think, that journalists should be lining up to figure out what stories need covering. It isn't just the debate, which will continue and is a political story, but it's the woeful neglect of miscarriage care, which is now in question. There's a whole story about in vitro fertilization, what happens to embryos that routinely were discarded when they were so-called extras. Now that's murder in many states. These are all stories that require huge coverage, and they there's really no other story, maybe economy, that deserves the resources and personnel and our new staffs. It has to be on this. This is huge.
0: Barbara, where do you think? I, I think Rosemary is right, that we have to be we in the media all over the country need to be diligent about covering this and exposing this and then hopefully encouraging people to go to the ballot box to elect people who are going to you know, straighten things out as much as possible. And, and it affects not only the news columns but the advertising columns. There was a case that actually went to the Supreme Court over – an ad in a, uh, the Virginia Weekly that talked about where people could get abortion services in New York. And the state there you know, said that yeah. this was against their laws to have this. And fortunately, when it went to the Supreme Court, they said, well, no, abortion is legal in New York where this was promoted and that there's still freedom of the press rather to allow this. That Just- was that court.
3: Yeah, that right. court back then. What would happen with this court now? Just listen to us, though. It's almost as if we're talking about how to be activists against pro-life. And that's not the function of the media either. That's really the bigger problem for us because there's also a huge story brewing on pro-life forces who have won a major victory. Many people are comparing it to the dog actually catching the car. What happens now? And that's a huge story. What are their strategies? Are they advancing in their stated goal of providing more care for people, for poor people for example, who are now going to be forced into having children they don't want. Are they going to make any advances on that? We have stuff to cover on both sides, not just on where do you go to get an abortion if you can't get one in Oklahoma now. Although I I there's want to important. see that in the press. You know, there,
0: I think sometimes there's a fine line between reporting the news and activism because as journalists we're choosing what to write about and how to present mm-hmm. it, Absolutely. where to play it, how much to emphasize, and even though it's in it's news and not opinion, right, we still need to be selective in bringing this front and center right. constantly.
2: The real question to me is we watch some of the stuff coming down is how much do the newspapers follow their views on what's right? I worry about that because, you know, I've always believed that newspapers are editorialists, whether they say they are or not. Because they're humans. Yeah, because there's always a publisher who's a boss, the under, and then there's always the an editor. Course. and there's. So you're
3: course. saying that the newspapers in red states will be pro-life and the, those in, in blue states like New York will be...
0: Coach well, choice. yes and no. It depends now, on it the got, owners, too, and how heavy a hand they have in yeah, controlling what some the do. outlets You know, are we just saw
2: something amazing, which was in Kansas, of all places, you know, there was an expectation mm-hmm. that people would vote one way and they voted the other way. I think that is something that we can't forget, that people will always do what they think is right in their own minds. You
1: know, it's interesting because I've thought about our approach or how biased or unbiased we are on, on this issue when— The federal government came forward and said that they were going to, or there was talk about the federal government interceding in some of these states to enable women to get abortion pills. But the Supreme Court has ruled that the states can make these decisions. So if the administration, the executive branch is doing something to counter what the Supreme Court has ruled, that question needs to be raised. If Donald Trump had done something similar on a totally different issue, would the media have treated that differently? Or do we applaud the effort of the federal government to do that?
2: Well, when you say the federal government, it's always interesting to me uh, when we talk this way because I think the federal government is often... Who the president is right. and, you
3: know. Well, yeah, the yeah. Justice Department, though, has interceded in what Indiana and Oklahoma to stop the implementation of draconian measures. And With I a Democratic president. A Democratic president has done it, right. It's, it's his DOJ, which really, if you're exercising that much power over, do something about Trump, not about abortion. But anyway, I digress. Uh. So I don't think there's anything in the press that's inappropriate, that the branches of government are independent. And if it's now up to the states, then the president, as the head Democrat, ought to be advocating, should he not, for the uh, Democratic Party position, which is pro-choice.
1: It's an interesting approach. I was concerned about the implicit editorializing with people. You had pro-choice people advocating strongly for federal government intervention or the attorney general, I mean the executive branch. But obviously, the pro-life people would find that a violation of what the Supreme Court had ruled. And I don't think that side of that issue got into the coverage as much as it hmm. should have.
2: So I have a question for all of you, if you would be so kind. If we were to give a ballot to every reporter and tell them they had to answer a oh, reporter like DeSantis.
3: Tell me where you stand before you go into my college. That's the new... Oh, DeSantis. really? Yeah.
2: Well, so I was asking a question that I think all of our listeners would be interested in. Do you think you would find more Democrats than Republicans as journalists? I think you'd find more Democrats. Yeah, without question.
1: And I actually think they've done that kind of poll and, yeah. and found that buck. There are a considerable number of journalists who are Republicans or conservatives. There are some libertarians out there who are journalists. It's not all over. It's predominantly
3: Democrats, I would say. Um, and it's, it's something- predominantly liberal at any yeah, rate. Yeah. And this is used a lot to show how badly biased the media is. And I think it's crap because when you know that you're biased, as we do know, you go out of your way to get the conservative voice in. And so you have Mark Thiessen, God, I hate that guy, in the Washington Post. He's a terrible conservative. And and he's there every week with this huge platform given to him by the liberal media. There's an obvious awareness on newspapers, at least, that they have to be two-sided. Radio and television is sort of a different thing.
2: Yeah, well, there is a difference between being biased and being right, if you're following me. In other words, I think much of the liberal media is liberal
0: because it's the right
2: place to be, period. Let let the record show that Rosemary is smirking.
0: (laughs) It's it's not that it's the right place to be, but that the personal, social, political philosophies of people who tend to be liberals are the types of people who are also going to tend to join journalism because you're trying to make positive change and you're willing to do it for not much money and you're trying to do what you believe well, is you're good and right. You're a teacher.
2: You're, you're a professor. Is that what you find that uh, your students tend to be more on the liberal side? I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? You I have, know. I, know, people raise their hands. School
0: starts in two weeks. I'll do a poll. (laughs) You know, this brings (laughs) us to the discussion
1: of Carrie Lake, who is a former news anchor out in Phoenix. I know her well. uh, Uh, And who is a Republican. So she left the news business and now she's a Republican and raises the issue of is it a new type of Republican, a new type of Republican. She is a Trump-supported election denier Republican who (laughs) has won a primary and running for governor in Arizona it's not unheard of for people in the news media. It seems more especially the electronic media. Or Did you
2: make your people promise when they came to work for you that they wouldn't do that? <laughs> I
1: mean, uh, when I that was to... not one of the promises I asked.
2: Because <laughs> when I went to work for Channel 6, Don Decker, who was the legendary head of the station at the time, made me hold up my hand and swear I would not run for political office. And one day, um, somebody in the Troy record, whoever that was, Decided that they were going to write a letter on, uh, write a column on, on this whole issue and said that Alan Shartok was running for public office. <laughs> Decker, Decker called me in the office and, boy, did he let me have it. And he said, it's here in the headline. I said, it didn't happen. It isn't going to happen. What are you talking about? He picks up the phone and he calls the reporter. And the reporter said, I was just kidding around. Oh my God! I, I will never forget the tone of Decker's voice at the time.
1: You know, one of the things about Carrie Lake is that she's part of her campaign is because she's a Trump acolyte is that she's a media basher. So because she comes from the media, it gives her added credibility. And she also has added credibility because she served as a news anchor. Does that hurt the ability of other news anchors to be credible going forward?
0: To me, the topic if I understand you correctly, is whether journalists switching over to become candidates is an issue. Mm -hmm. And I think it depends. I can certainly see why journalists sometimes think that they can make a difference as getting into the system instead of covering the system. And one of the journalists that I most admire who's like returning to journalism is Nicholas Kristof, who Mm -hmm. left the New York Times to run for um, governor in his home state. It turned out he couldn't. Yeah. he didn't live there yeah. okay it's <laughs> small problem. details details and he's coming back to the new york times but he's a terrific journalist he makes a positive difference in, around the world with the things that he covers well, what
2: do you think the editors of the times were thinking when Christoph said he was coming back
0: that
3: he's a they, great writer and a wonderful columnist who writes on uh, things no one else does and he should be right should, he, it was interesting and, that he left I, I thought he was just frustrated because it used to be in journalism you could change the world and now it's not enough just isn't, and so he he wanted to go over and make a difference in a different way in the political form. I understand that. Yeah. I respect completely. Don't you think that completely. There's there's a big difference. So make be, a big difference. I agree. Difference difference I think he's I think he's a times. really good candidate. I do want to make there's a big difference between him and a Carrie Lake, who is True. to get back to Alan's point, nothing but a pretty face. She really is not, and that's the problem with a lot of our anchors. We invest them with this great gravitas and well, she's importance, worse. and all they are are news readers. They don't research it. They don't write the stuff. They read what's put in front of them.
0: She's so worse than she's, just a pretty face, but you're right. She's not what do you mean jur- she's worse than a pretty face? Because she, wa- she wasn't a true journalist in the sense of being a reporter and trying to get the news and report the news and report the truth. She was a celebrity. She was, yes, yeah, she was a celebrity. And what she's
3: doing now is- um, And we she, Americans accept too many celebrities as viable political candidates. And I include Ronald Reagan and definitely Donald Trump in that.
2: How about me? Do you see me as a celebrity?
3: Um, yeah. You want to run for office? You want to be governor? No. no, Decker's not
0: with us right now. That's right. And, and <laughs> the BBC
1: don't they call their anchors news readers?
3: I yeah, love the, which I is that. better, rather than anchors? Like we're the solid ones, you know? we the name anyone, even the greatest of all time, Walter Cronkite. Could he have been president? No, I think to be a president, you're not supposed to be a businessman. You're not supposed to be a newsman. You're supposed
2: to be a politician. When you say supposed to be, that is a value-laden term. Um, yeah. Who sets out what's supposed to be? Well, this is I'm this.
3: giving you my opinion, so
2: obviously it's what I think. That who I'm voting for
3: experienced people who know how to get compromised, who know how to push through and be brutal when they have to, and you know, schmooze Joe Manchin when you have to and you get things
0: done. and I don't believe Carrie Lake can do that. Carrie Lake reminds me of a version of Elise Stefanik, yeah, in yep. the sense that she's young, she's attractive, and she's oh, spewing, she, spew- she went her. to the dark side and is spewing nonsense. Wait, 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 something's <laughs> dangerous nonsense. So you
2: said that you you, you
3: no no I, right. she said she's just you, like Elise Stefanik yeah. and I was gonna say Elise Stefanik is not attractive but my mm. opinion of her is so colored by her politics mm. that's unfair and really anti-feminine I apologize. Oh my gosh! Sorry, Where's I know you're fighting us all. You you're fighting us <laughs> all,
1: Barbara. So, so we get letters uh, once in a while. Someone will write in and and comment on our uh, Extraordinary! extraordinary. And, and we love to get the letters because we often will read them. And we got one <laughs> this week from Andrew Coop in Lisbon who talked about last week's discussion concerning unskilled workers and that. Oh, yeah, the use of that term. The use of that term. Uh, And Andrew is raising exceptions to that. It seems to me, he says, that the approach that we took in terms of talking about unskilled workers as maybe a ditch sticker, for example, he says a ditch sticker typically is someone operating heavy machinery, and it's a difficult task, and it does require some skill. It would seem to me, he says, that that approach reflects the general societal negativity towards anyone who works providing physical labor. I would suggest that manual labor or physical labor are reasonable options for a term that is not inherently insulting or remaining accurate and allowing for reasonable differentiation to mental laborers.
2: Well, I do know that Rosemary was making all kinds of faces when you were reading that, and I wondered if she would explain <laughs> uh, it
3: so. Well, it's the, the whole discussion would, to, to bring it back. You know, can you say unskilled labor? Is that insulting? And my point was it's very
0: descriptive, and I don't know what an, an alternative don't think it's term right. is. Well, that's, this writer that's more provided some alternatives, and Who's I those? did hmm. listen to the show. I was kind of struck by that, and I think that he hits a nerve I think he hits something that there is some truth to, and I've heard Rosemary. You talk about euphemism that you can't stand yeah, in the news, like and, visually impaired instead of blind. Um, and I think we even conceded that maybe there was one thing that, that maybe this sounded right. So unskilled labor, the problem with that term is that it does make it sound like the, you know, the educated, the intellectuals, the highly educated mm. people are looking down. Doesn't make it. I'm not saying that. Well, okay, I, I, no, I see your point. But the you're unskilled. Well, some of the people who I've you know hired as unskilled laborers, I couldn't do what they're doing. Exactly my point. So it's a different kind of skill. Well, journalism teacher, let
3: me appeal to you on that. thing you almost never have to say unskilled labor. You say ditch digger. Mason, plumber, assembly line worker, whatever it is, mm. you use the specific rather than the general and you avoid the whole problem. I agree with that.
1: Yeah, I almost think the use of the term unskilled labor arose from probably reporting on some sort of economic or governmental statistics because right. that's what they often use. That's and, right. and so the reporting, in keeping with whatever the report said, used the term. But maybe there was a way for them to elaborate and put it in better context.
0: Well, I think it increases our awareness and maybe sensitivity to terms we're using. What do they mean? What do they mean to everyone? When would we tick
2: somebody off? For example, <laughs> um, in my home, we have a pretty big house, and I can't do anything. And so we bring As in it all should of the, be. What'd you say? As <laughs>
3: it should be. <laughs> yeah.
2: And we bring in all these wonderful people who can do this incredibly difficult work. Well, they're skilled laborers. No, they they are skilled, right? Skilled.
3: You don't like have to say that. You say and you bring in house cleaners, bring a, you bring in whatever, you say you the, the specific. You brought an electrician, you brought but, in a carpenter. But here's another in word in the news, let me ask you about. Beyoncé got into trouble with lyrics for a new song in which she used the expression spaz as in spaz out, and she was called an elitist, she was an ableist. I have no
2: idea what you're talking about. Could you, don't? you explain it? It's a here. song, a popular yes, she's a song. Singer. Yeah, Beyonce's, oh, Beyonce's a very is a popular <laughs>
3: <attractive>. <laughs> She's really attractive, she yeah, is. she'd like her. So she has a new song out, which she makes reference To the term spaz and spaz out. And that is also spastic rigidity is a a characteristic of cerebral palsy. It's painful. It's awful. And now advocates for the disabled are saying you need to change the lyrics. And Lizzo, another singer, another very popular singer, also had that word in a song. She was alerted to it by social media. Fans wrote in and said that's bad. So she changed the word. So, yeah, language is under attack past behaviors under attack. Did you hear the Audubon Society wants to change its name, out in Seattle at least, because Audubon was a white supremacist and a black slave owner fought against abolition. His bird stuff was, you know, that was good, but there was all this other baggage. So they want to change the name. Words count more than ever. Democrats really care about it. It's one of the talking points on the right. And really, I think it's important, but it's not as important as um, abortion rights, it's not as important as voting rights, it's not as important as infrastructure, and yet that seems to get a lot of the press accuse us of that, and you would be making a good criticism of the press. We hit the trivial.
1: You know, getting a lot of attention in recent days has been the NFL quarterback, Deshaun Watson. He oh, was yeah. a, he's been accused of sexual misconduct during massage treatments he received. In the fall of 2019 through 2021, this guy makes $230 million as a quarterback for the Cleveland Browns. And what is interesting about this is the sports media has rallied to this story in a way maybe they wouldn't have 10 years ago. What happened was a retired federal judge who was essentially the mediator for what his penalty would be for this misconduct essentially suspended him for six games. Most people view that as a slap on the wrist and the sports media, which again, used to just glorify athletes. They really didn't hold them to account
2: in many instances. Well, I don't know. When Mickey Mantle got into a fight, you know, they would be all hell to pay. (laughs) Do you remember that? You don't even remember Mickey Mantle. Number seven. Yeah, there you will.
1: But the NFL wanted suspension for a whole season. This judge says, no, just six games. And the sports media columnists seem to be keeping this story alive, and it doesn't seem to be dying. Do you think that's really true, Have they played an important role in promoting greater awareness of sexual misconduct among players? Who, the NFL? The sports media columnist. Sports
0: media columnist.
2: Well, every time one of these guys gets into trouble, we read about it in the paper, don't we? Isn't that something?
0: So in this particular case, I think there are more commentators, at least, that are saying that he's gotten off the hook too easily. But now we'll see what happens with the, you know, NFL becomes the new, like the Judge and jury, kind of of the of the appeal of this ruling. Yeah,
1: once again, I was a reporter for the New York Times who really dug into this case and found that there were upwards of sixty instances where he was getting massages. Yeah, it was far more than a few massages. Yeah. It seemed like he was. A so, what's
0: the
3: allegation? I'm sorry. He would call women to get mas- always women to get massages, and they would
0: turn into sexual experiences. So, so that, that they, they would masturbate or of ask complaints. them to touch
3: them. Lots Dozen, and lots right, of complaints. Doesn't have
0: complaints, and that he settled 23 yeah. out of 24 lawsuits. So we don't know what the. Terms here, of the here's was. here's the so thing. It's obviously a major it issue. It is. A, I'm sorry to
3: interrupt. Yes, you're right. Vice
0: versa. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs>
3: the problem here is that they picked a mediator who ruled in his favor, and that's unfortunate. But that's the rules of the game. I think it's like when the Supreme Court rules against you on abortion, you got to go along with it at least for a while until you fight back. So I like that the media dug into it and told the whole story. I think they did exactly what they should have. And that part of the punishment for this young man is that he's now being monitored. He better not try this again or you're going to – it's major headlines and a whole new ball game for him. That's a good thing. Indeed,
0: and it, and it wouldn't have happened 10 years ago, right. Oh, that's for sure. And it should be some kind of a message. But if it stays at a six-game suspension, which I think it's going to end up being more, if it stayed at a six-game suspension, the message is that, oh, you can get away with things like this.
1: Yeah, and, and again, it just means you can't play for six games. He'll be paid. He doesn't lose money. And I mean, it's $230 million He's gonna he's guaranteed. But
3: it seems to me our complaint is not with the news media but with the mediator who came up with that, who heard all the evidence. Just as a reporter had it, and decided this was fair. That's who I'm angry right, at. Right, and
0: it was interesting to to read the reports on this, where she called it a non-violent sexual yeah, assault, which to me charming. is an oxymoron. Yeah, charming.
1: So I want to swing widely and go over to how Russia continues to treat journalism, uh, journalists, and because we, I don't think we should take our eyes off of that issue because it's not going away. No, uh, they're continuing to crack down. And the press, not the free press. And so what can we do as media watchers to bring this issue to the forefront and make sure that at least some coverage happens in Russia?
2: Well, we can do what you're doing right now. You can raise it in the context of a discussion, but I don't know that there is much you can do. You're
1: seeing foreign journalists go back to Moscow and start to cover, but even they, people from CNN, um, yeah. from the major networks are being called in before sure. the Russian bureaucracy and being questioned. It's a dictatorship. And, and it's intimidating. Really. So you keep doing it. That's
3: the nature of reporting from jurisdictions like this. And Russia has not always been, Moscow has not always been this sort of an assignment, but it's now like being assigned to cover Syria or other places in the Middle East or uh, Ethiopia, where local journalists are under fire. And so are the foreign ones. But here's the deal: when you have both working together, when you have local and foreign reporters, you get better coverage. It's not the best, obviously, because you're not getting full access. But you're getting a lot. We saw this in Bosnia, where journalists were were, were killed or run out of the country. They they disappeared in droves, and the people who were left were often harassed by the governments and the jurisdictions that replaced old Yugoslavia. And they began looking for foreign reporters to come in and tell their story, to get their story out. And that's what is happening in Russia. And there are inlets into Russia. We've seen Vox, for example, talk to the parents of Russian soldiers rather than official sources about soldiers. Ukrainians, they're right on the border. They're definitely engaged with Russians right now. So there's lots of ways of getting at the story, aside from getting official recognition and press credentials from Putin.
0: I like your opinion, Rosemary, because you've got a lot of experience on the international coverage end of things. it seems like a growing percentage of the people who are covering things are independent journalists. Mm -hmm. How can mainstream markets get their word out. How do you help spread the coverage? I mean, social media yeah. somehow is becomes organic, but how do, you what kind of, how do you spread the work of independent
3: journalists? Kind of an interesting them? question. I, in fact, I, I'm a little worried about that because you have independent journalists now covering places, like I say, Russia and Syria, and they do not have the protection of a big organization like the New York Times or CNN, right. which can call the president and say, hey, our guy's in trouble, you know, call the State Department and get blinking on it. They go there at great risk, very little pay, and no guarantee that they're going to have an outlet. So what the mainstream media can do is support people going over there and use the work of independent journalists. Pay them for what they do. That's the main thing. You
1: know, and hold have... them to the high standards of their... I would have loved to hear more from families whose, whose sons or daughters have died in this war fresh Russian. And because... Upwards of twenty or 30,000 Russian soldiers apparently Correct. have died. And we're not seeing that kind of feedback from the country. We're not seeing what people in the villages and they the They don't towns.
0: even want to say there's a war there.
1: Yeah. Right. They, can, they continue to be war it's deniers, and, and, and there's so much we don't know, and the people in, Ru- in Russia don't know either. Right. right. The, the, the war story I was thinking of was by Fox,
3: and they were covering uh, Russian When it first started moving into Ukraine, it was all Russia. No, we don't have anybody there. No, these are just Ukrainians who are rising up again, blah, and it was Russians. And Vox went into Russia and talked to people because soldiers were being killed. They were being sent home. there were grieving parents in Russia, and that's how the story came out. Um, very inventive and brave journalism, also by independent journalists.
2: And one of the things that I find so interesting is that the Russians themselves don't seem to find anything offensive. About the way in which the news media. Well, that's is a
0: broad being, stereotype of
2: the Russian people. Yes, it is. And it's one which is. Um, d-
3: d- uh, there's a whole model, communist. there's a whole press model. China is another good example of this, where the media is seen as an extension, as a tool of the administration. Mm-hmm. And so in China, you don't write anything that is not to the glory and improvement of the Communist Party. And Putin feels the same way that if you write against him, you are traitorous and he will lock you up and close
2: down your publication. Yes, Rosemary. And and he makes it stick that's what's terrible yeah.
3: he has effectively Great. shut down all independent media in Russia
1: all right well that's all we have time no, to. no. thanks to Alan <laughs> Rosemary and Barbara <laughs> and thanks to our producer David Gustina I'm Judy Patrick thanks for joining us see you next week on the media project <laughs>